I want to remind us of a couple of things in Proverbs, and if you're a note taker and you have one of our worship guides, there's some places where you can write some definitions of some terms that we hear in Proverbs, and we see them rather frequently. And I, I don't have a precise definition for you in these terms. I just gave you those blanks so maybe you could jot some reminders down for yourself or even write your own definition. But I think for the purpose of what we're doing and going through this book, it's helpful to think of these three terms that we see over and over again in Proverbs and think of them kind of in an order or succession. First of all, there's knowledge. Proverbs talks about knowledge. Knowledge really is knowing God's Word. And and I want this to be as practical as it can be because as we talk about pursuing wisdom, I want you to understand what that means. And what does it mean to pursue wisdom? How do we do that? It begins with knowledge, with knowing God's Word. This is where we read Scripture. This is where we study the Bible. We try to learn it with humility. And that is sometimes difficult. The Bible is not an easy book. But God promises His Spirit to those who would draw near to Him and try to learn His Word. He promises help. The next term that Proverbs mentions a lot is understanding. Understanding really is when you get insight into what you're learning, right? There's a difference in knowing something and knowing a fact and memorizing it and then really beginning to understand it and have insight into it. You can receive understanding in God's Word no matter how long you've been a Christian, If you just became a believer and you're reading the Bible, you can learn and receive insight. If you are a believer and you've been a believer for decades, don't ever think, well, I've read that book a hundred times. You could read that and God could open up understanding to you for the rest of your life and you would never get to the bottom of that mine that you bring treasures out of. So pray for understanding. Understanding comes through prayer. It's when you go to the Word and you pray as you're reading. And understanding also comes from being in community with other believers. It's when you go to small groups or Bible studies and you discuss the Word, when you talk about it with friends, with people in the church over coffee or just texting on the phone, whatever it may be. Community and prayer are tools that God uses to help us gain greater understanding in His Word. Don't cut yourself off from those things. And then, of course, wisdom. Wisdom is when we take our knowledge and our understanding and we begin to apply it. The, the definition that we've used is has involved the word skill because wisdom involves skill. It is skill in rightly applying your understanding. There, I said this maybe week one or week two in Proverbs. There is not a verse that's going to cover every question you have about your life. There is not a commandment that's going to tell you everything to do in every situation. Wisdom is when you learn God's Word and you gain understanding and you begin to understand how to apply its principles. That's wisdom. It is what you do your conduct and your behavior, but it is also how you do it, what we talked about earlier. It's your character. 
That's why Proverbs 4.9 says that wisdom will crown you. It makes your life beautiful, not just because of your actions, but because of your character. So, very practically, you develop knowledge through study. You develop understanding by prayer and community in that study, and you develop wisdom by practice. You practice applying God's Word. And sometimes when you practice that and you apply it, you're going to learn. I I didn't apply that right. But the next time, you'll remember that. Or if you apply it correctly and you see the good fruit of that, you will be exhorted. Okay, this is what I want to keep doing. This is how I want to live. Knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. And the thing that I want to keep bringing us back to over and over is that even though we're in the Old Testament, this is all about Jesus. Jesus said that. He said everything in the Old Testament was about Him. Proverbs is about Jesus. Jesus is wisdom personified. Proverbs 2 told us that we should search for wisdom like a hidden treasure. You remember that? Search for wisdom like a hidden treasure. Colossians 2 says that the hidden treasure of wisdom is in Jesus. All of the hidden treasure of wisdom is in Christ. So how do you search for wisdom? You search for Jesus. You pursue Jesus. Or you can put it another way. When you pursue wisdom, you're pursuing Jesus. You're pursuing the person of Christ. And the beautiful thing about that is Galatians 2.20 tells us that the Christian life is a miracle because when you're a believer, it is no longer you who live. It is Christ who lives in you and through you. So church, you can be the embodiment of godly wisdom on this earth. You In your sphere of influence, where you are in your life, you can be the embodiment of wisdom because Jesus was the embodiment of wisdom and Jesus lives his life through you. And if you say, well, that sounds weird. I don't know how that works. Yes, faith. That's why we call that faith. We live by faith. We trust. Jesus is living through us. You will see that difference, and people will see that difference in you. And you will embody godly wisdom. A pastor named Ray Ortland, who wrote a really good book on Proverbs, he said this, What every community needs are churches where sinners can come and people can live again. Because the wisdom of Jesus is in those churches. The only biblical strategy for world redemption is the church. And I'm just going to pause and say that is extremely important for us to understand. There is not a leader, there is not a strategy, there is not a political party, there is not an ideology that can bring redemption to this broken world other than Jesus And he has commissioned his church for that act. And this redemption requires of us more than just having good intentions. And it requires even more 
than Bible doctrine. It requires the wisdom of God embodied in more churches so that people can stop dying and they can start living forever. So much is at stake in the quality of our churches. And we want to be a church here that is a wise church. We want to be a church that embodies wisdom. And we want to desire that. And that is what Solomon is putting before us in these first nine chapters, why we should desire wisdom and value it. And I want you to know this morning, listen, when it comes to the issue of embodying wisdom, if if that sounds good to you, I could be the physical presence of wisdom, of godly wisdom on this earth. I want you to know it is not a question of availability. It is a question of desirability. What I mean by that is if you want to be that person of wisdom, you can be. That's what Solomon says. That's what the Bible says over and over again. If you cry out for it, it will be yours. The real question is whether you desire it or not. The real question is whether or not you find it valuable enough to pursue and to go after and to discipline yourself for knowledge and understanding so that you can be a wise person. Look at some of these terms that Solomon uses in our text today. They are terms that are are to create in us desire. In verse 13, he says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. In verse 14, he uses the word gain, for the gain from her is better than the gain from silver. Also in verse 14, her profit is better than gold. In verse 15, she is more precious than jewels. He is using language to cause us to desire wisdom, and it culminates in the second part of verse 15. Nothing you desire can compare to her. Desire is what you take pleasure in. And here is what Solomon, the Bible says the wisest person who ever lived aside from Jesus, he says there is nothing you could ever desire in your life that will compare to the wisdom of God. And church, it is simply a question of whether or not we believe that. Because we only live what we truly believe. We only pursue what we really find to be valuable. Solomon knows that in your life, you will have many desires. Every one of us do. There are things all across this room we find pleasure in. No one has to tell us to go after it. No one has to tell us to do it. It's natural. Things that we find pleasure in, it's just automatic. And Solomon knew that there would be competing desires. And and here's the reality. The reality is time is limited. You only have so many hours in a day before you crash unconscious. And the older you get, those hours seem to be fewer. You only have so much energy till you get to that point where you're like, I've done all I can do. Limited amount of time, limited amount of energy. And and you're putting that time and that energy into things that you find to be valuable. And Solomon... And ultimately, Jesus, through his servant Solomon, is trying to proclaim to you, nothing 
you could put your time and energy to will compare to wisdom. So don't fail to pursue it. Don't put that at the bottom of the barrel. And look what he says. Immediately after, he says, nothing you desire can compare with her. And and, and he's using wisdom personified, lady wisdom. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And then immediately look at what he says in verse 16. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Do you see what he did there? He listed out three things that most every human wants. Long life, riches, and honor. No one really has to tell us to desire those things. We just do. Most everybody wants to live a nice long life. We wouldn't, we wouldn't mind being rich. Some of us, we, we, we're, we're a little bit too religious to say we want to be rich. So we just say, I'd just like to have a little bit more than I have right now. And we love honor. We like people to think well of us. Solomon says, nothing you desire can compare with her. If you want long life, if you want riches, and if you want honor, they're in the hands of wisdom. See, he doesn't say it's wrong to want those things. He says you should pursue those things by pursuing wisdom. These are not promises. We know people who have lived wise lives who didn't live long lives. But they are principles. That if you desire these things, the one sure bet is you should pursue wisdom. I'm going to, um, I'm going to do the one thing that preachers aren't supposed to do, and I'm going to quote the same person twice in one sermon. I'll give you one more Ray Ortland quote. If you need money, aim at wisdom, and you'll make the money that's right for you. Wisdom is skill at living life well. Money is not. Money can put food on your table, but wisdom puts laughter around your table. Money can buy you a house, but wisdom alone can make you a home. Money can buy a woman jewelry, but it is only wisdom that can win her heart. These things that we desire are in the hands of wisdom, and the Bible is saying, pursue wisdom, and you will receive everything you need. So in your handout, this life truth for today. Wisdom results in delight. Wisdom results in delight. This is so important. It's so important because we live in a culture that says God is ultimately a killjoy, who just wants to give you a life of servitude and take away your happiness, and that is so wrong. God wants you to be joyful, even happy in Him. The greatest delight is in God. The greatest delight is in the person of Christ. Wisdom doesn't remove pleasure. It enhances your pleasure. At times, it will change what you desire, and you will realize, I was desiring the wrong things, things that would never really make me happy. Sometimes, wisdom helps you to enjoy the things you desire even more. It enhances it. And that's what Solomon says in verse 17. The ways of wisdom are of pleasantness. 
Who doesn't want to live a pleasant life? Be disciplined for knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And from that, you walk in pleasant places. Connected very closely to pleasantness is peace. And this is kind of our focal thought today, our focal verse for today. The second half of verse 17, when it comes to wisdom, all her paths are peace. I titled the sermon today, Walk in Peace. Wisdom offers us peace, a life of peace. I want to remind you, because we've talked about this before, most of the time when we think of peace, our mind immediately goes to, well, everybody's getting along. We don't have conflict. And and that is often a part of peace, but what is most comparable to peace in the Bible is blessings and favor from God. When the Bible talks about peace, that's really what it's talking about, the grace of God in your life. Sometimes, as a matter of fact, achieving peace among God's people actually means we have to be Uh, We have to be in conflict sometimes. What I mean by that is there are times in the body of Christ where in order to receive or achieve peace with another believer, you have to lovingly confront them over something. You have to have hard conversations sometimes with your spouse or with your kids or with your parents or with your friends or with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to have hard conversations to achieve peace. Now, if you're just trying to have hard conversations because you want to point out all they're doing wrong, the heart, your heart's in the wrong place. But if you want peace, sometimes you have to have loving confrontation. But peace is what the people of God should desire. Seems long ago we went through the Sermon on the Mount, but when we did, in Matthew 5, Jesus said, "'Blessed are the peacemakers.'" they will be called the children of God. Peacemaking is the family business of God's kingdom. If you are a Christian, you are called to live in peace and to make peace. And that is sometimes a hard task. But that is what we are called to. And wise people will walk in peace. And I hope when you hear that language, there's just something that stirs in you that says, I really would like that. I really want to walk in peace. And the Bible, when it talks about walking in peace, it talks about it in three different ways. And we see it in Proverbs this morning. Three types of peace that we can walk in. Three types of peace I hope you desire in your life. First of all, peace with God. Peace with God. Solomon says in verse 18, Wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. That, agape, is Genesis language. 
It's language from the very beginning. If you have a Bible this morning, just keep your spot where you are in Proverbs 3, but then turn over to Genesis 3. I want you to see something. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word this morning, just remember that we have free study Bibles. If you want to grab one of those before you leave, we would love to gift you one as a church. If you know someone in your life who you'd like to give them a study Bible, let us know. But I want you to see this. I want you to compare something. Look at Genesis 3, 22. This is right after the fall of man. This is right after Adam and Eve sinned by rebelling against God. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. I want you to see that language because what I want you to see is that when we sinned against God, the tree of life was cut off from us. A flaming sword was put at the garden to keep man from getting to the tree of life, from reaching his hand out and living forever. But then when you get to Proverbs... What you see in Proverbs 3 is that wisdom becomes that tree of life that you can lay hold of. Wisdom undoes the fall. Wisdom brings you peace with God. Wisdom, which is the fear of the Lord through faith in Christ, restores to you the ability to take hold of the tree of life and live forever. What sin took from you, wisdom restores to you. Wisdom becomes that very tree of life that sin denied us. God's wisdom is what created the earth, and God's wisdom is what sustains the earth. If you look in verse 20, when it says, the clouds drop down the dew, that's present tense. Even today, by wisdom, it rains. Even today, the wisdom of God is sustaining His creation. And you, when you believe upon Jesus Christ as your Savior, God creates you brand new, and He sustains you in a life of peace with Him. And the tree of life, that sword, is removed. And as a child of God, you are free to take from it and to eat. You ever wonder why God forbid man from eating from that tree? It certainly was wrath. It certainly was his judgment. But what would have happened if fallen man had eaten from the tree of life? They would have lived forever as a fallen creature. It was grace that he cut that tree off from rebellious men. Because wisdom was going to bring them back to it in faith as a new creature who will live forever without sin. If everything that you see and admire on this earth, if everything in creation that you find beautiful was founded by wisdom, 
What can your life accomplish and bear fruit if wisdom is in you? Because that same creative power of wisdom will live in you and bear fruit in people's lives. Desire that more than you desire anything. Desire that because nothing else compares to it. Peace with God. The wise also walk in peace within. Peace within, within themselves. Solomon continues in verse 23. He says, if you have wisdom, you will walk on your way securely. What does that mean? Because some of you would say, rightly, my life has not always been secure. I, I've tried to walk in wisdom, but I, I still see danger all around. Well, the type of security that he's talking about, we can, we can really learn from verse 23 to 25. Your foot will not stumble, he says. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. And in verse 25, you don't have to be afraid of the ruin of the wicked. The type of security that he's talking about is security from sin. Have you ever done something that you felt so guilty about you could not sleep at night? You don't have to answer, just in your mind. I have. If you've ever felt so guilty about something and then you confessed it and you dealt with it and you were able to sleep in peace. See, Solomon's saying that wisdom gives us peace with God, which gives us peace within ourselves. That guilt and shame doesn't have to keep us up at night. That we don't have to be fearful of falling into the same ruin that will overcome wicked people. We can have peace within ourselves knowing that we have peace with God. I've heard people say something for a long time, and for many years I never knew how to, what to think about it when I heard someone say, I don't know how to forgive myself. But I've talked to enough people who feel that way that I think it's a, I think it's a reality for people. That sometimes they feel like they simply can't forgive themselves for things they've done. But here is what I know for sure is the remedy for that. The remedy for self-forgiveness is to be forgiven by God. Because once the creator of the universe has forgiven you, you are not a greater judge than he. If he has forgiven you, then you have that forgiveness within yourself. You can have peace within because God has given you that peace. In verse 26, Solomon says, the Lord will be your confidence. That word literally means back. The Lord will be, will have your back. The Lord will be your companion. You will have peace within because you will have peace with God because moment by moment, day by day in your life, Jesus will be with you. And you can rely on him for everything. And finally, Solomon in Proverbs calls us to walk in peace with others. So when we talk about wisdom helping us to walk in peace, it is peace with God, peace within, and peace with others. 
And Solomon gives us three characteristics of wise people and how we relate to other people, how we walk in peace with others. These are in your notes. First of all, the wise are generous. We are to walk in peace with others by being generous people. So look at what he says in verse 27 and 28. Don't withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you actually have it with you right now. To walk in peace with others begins by being a generous person. It's very interesting because when Solomon says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, the literal translation of, a translation of that is, do not withhold good from its owners. In other words, in a legal sense, you own what you own. And, and within the scope of your community, your church, your neighbors, no one should come into your home and take what is yours. The Bible says, do not steal. But God in Proverbs says, you have a moral obligation that if someone is in need in your community as your neighbor, they actually are the owners in the sight of God of what you have. You should give it to them. You should help them. You should be generous to them. You should not withhold it. They should not steal from you, but you should not withhold good from them. Why? Because God has withheld nothing good from you. Everything you have is from God. So you should be generous with what you have with others. The second part of that is Solomon says, the wise do no harm. The wise are generous people. That's how we walk in peace with others. If you are a generous person... You have a lot of peace in your life. Also, we should do no harm to other people. Verse 29 and 30. Don't plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Solomon says here, don't break people's trust. The people that live next to you your community, your church, your neighbors, they trust you. Don't break that trust. The reality is many people in churches throughout time have broken the trust of others. Leaders have done that. It's caused many people to just not want anything to do with church or the people of God. It's a work of the enemy to sow discord and conflict. But it is not, a, it's not for us to separate from one another. It is for us to live differently, to build trust back where we can, or to make sure that we ourselves never harm someone else who has our trust. Church, that also means how we treat people when they're not around. What we say about people when they can't hear us. You can harm people by your words that you think they'll never hear. We are not to do harm 
We are not to break trust. We are not to be quarrelsome or critical or fault-finding. We should try to be empathetic and look for the good in everyone. Because wise people want to walk in peace. And wise people know that while that person may not hear what we say, Christ does. Wisdom is to be generous. Wisdom is to do no harm. And wisdom, finally, is to refuse violence. The wise refuse violence. Verse 31 and 32, Solomon says, Do not envy a man of violence, and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord. Now, certainly that means don't physically hurt someone. Don't attack someone. Don't go after the innocent. Don't go after others. But you can do violence to people without actually physically assaulting them. The context here, when he says, do not envy a man of violence, he's saying, don't be like those who try to get what they want through power. Don't try to strong arm your way into what you want. Don't try to manipulate to get what you want, emotionally or physically. Don't be someone who tries to use your advantages to take advantage of other people. Don't envy what you see. That's what is happening in the world, right? Everybody's striving for power in the world because that power will give them an advantage to live the life they want. Solomon says that's not the way of wisdom. Don't try to be powerful so you can get what you want. Be meek like Jesus. Be wise like Jesus. And trust God to give you what He wants you to have. You don't have to cheat or steal or be dishonest to try to have enough money in this world to feed your family. If you will be a wise person and meek, Jesus will give you everything you need. He will provide for you. You don't have to go out and use your power to take care of yourself. Use what you have to serve others and be generous to them and do no harm. And God will take care of you. Just as He took care of Jesus. Look at that last verse. Verse 32. The devious person is an abomination to the Lord. The person who tries to get what they want by deceiving others, Solomon says, is an abomination to God. But the upright... The the wise, those with wisdom, the meek, they are in His confidence. You know what that means? To be a confidant of God? Yeah, that is pretty cool. That means not only will God give you personal counsel, the Creator of the universe will walk next to you and give you counsel, but it also means He will share with you His very thoughts you will be in His confidence. 
He will share with you things that He's not sharing with the entire world. There is nothing that compares to that. Nothing. This morning when Lamar read to us from James 3, he read this verse, verse 18, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The biblical principle is we reap what we sow. In a practical measure, whatever type of seed you put in the ground, that's the type of plant that will grow. Whatever you sow in this life, you will reap back. Sow peace, reap peace. Sow conflict and arrogance and self-confidence, and you reap back the reward of those things. Solomon is calling us, God is calling us through Proverbs to be a people who sow peace, and we will reap that back. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I want you to look at one more verse as we get ready to sing and pray together. And it's one that wasn't in your handout this morning, so if you have a Bible, just look at verse 34 in Proverbs 3. Just a few verses down that we didn't have in the, in the text. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. That word favor is grace. The grace of God comes to the humble. Scorn comes to the arrogant. This morning, it really is a question for us of whether or not we want to walk in peace. You've heard the call. One day when you stand before Jesus, you will not say, but I didn't know that. Now, you might be able to say it was a flawed person and a flawed delivery, and that'd be true. But you will not be able to say, I never heard the call to peace. You have. You can walk in peace with God. You can walk in peace with yourself. And you can walk in peace with others. And I think the way Solomon, excuse me, the way James put it is best, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What does it look like this morning for you to draw near to God? It might be to, to stand and sing. It might be to kneel and pray. It might be to pray up here. It might be to come and pray with one of our prayer partners. I want to ask them if they'll come up this morning. I'm going to have some people over here to my left that they're going to be here to pray for you. Whatever it looks like for you, the call this morning is to draw near to God. If you know right now, I need to sow peace in my life, that's something you're going to have to discipline yourself to do as you leave here. But you need to get ready for that through prayer. You need to get ready for that by speaking with God and asking for His help. I also want you to know if you need prayer about anything else, physical healing, any other burdens that's on your heart, that's why we have prayer partners every week, because we want you to know you can come 
to this church on a Sunday and you can be prayed for. This morning, church, let's be people who walk in peace. Father, I prayed at the beginning that you would anoint us, that you would anoint the preaching of your word and the hearing of your word. And now, God, I want to ask that you would empower us to respond. I don't have the knowledge to know what every person is dealing with or what's on their heart or what you've shared with them this morning or what has stood out to them. But God, my prayer is that they've heard from you and they will now respond and that you would help us be people who walk in peace. God, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't have peace with you through faith in Jesus, would you please open their eyes to the gospel this morning and let them be saved. God, if there's anyone in this room that's in conflict with another believer, would you cause them today to go to those, that believer and be reconciled in peace? God, if there's anyone this morning who's wrestling within themselves shame and guilt, would you cause them to be prayed for, that you might deliver them in peace today? Because you have forgiven them, they are forgiven. God, please work miracles among us. God, you've You've done it so clearly the last few weeks. Would you please continue in your mercy? God, let our hearts be humble before you. Your promise is you give grace to the humble. Would you help us be a humble church and help us to receive your favor? Church, in just a moment after we've sang, after we've prayed, we're going to see our seventh baptism in three weeks. Tied to what God did for us on Easter Sunday. Let your heart be stirred to that. He's working miracles. Would you please pray for yours today and believe that He will give it. If there's anything that is troubling you in your relationship with Jesus, please come talk to me or talk to Nick before you leave. We'll talk with you today or we'll make a time to talk with you. Answer His call answer his call. Amen.